when I look at this prophecy and I compare it to events that we know it from Ezekiel's time to today, I can safely say that the only time in our history, in Jewish history, that this prophecy has been fulfilled is today. You are listening to Keeping It Israel, brought to you by First Century Foundations. This podcast explores how your Christian faith is connected to Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's your host, Executive Director of First Century Foundations, Jeff Feuders. Well, welcome to the podcast today. And uh, my name is Jeff. I'll be your host. Our guest today is a returning guest. Sandra Oster Barris is the director of CFOIC Heartland's Israel office. Uh, Christian Friends of Israeli Communities Heartland is the only Christian organization to focus exclusively on the communities of the heartland of biblical Israel. She lives in a small Sumerian town called Karne Shomron. We have visited with her in her home. And Sandra, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back. Well, we appreciate you taking this time. And uh, today's podcast is a continuation of our prophetic series focused on Bible prophecies that have come to pass through the nation of Israel. And uh, today we're focusing on a very interesting prophecy that's directed toward uh, the mountains of Israel. And I'm just going to read the scripture from Ezekiel 36, uh, 8 through 12. And here is what it says. It says, But you, O mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown, and I will multiply the number of people upon you, even the whole house of Israel. The towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. And I will increase the number of men and animals upon you, and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past, and will make you prosper more than before. And then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause people, my people Israel, to walk upon you, and they will possess you, and you will be their inheritance. You you will never again deprive them of their children. And uh, that text, that prophecy is a very uh, intriguing one because God is speaking to to land, essentially, to the mountains. Uh, Sandra, do we know roughly when this prophecy would have been given? Well, if we assume that the book of Ezekiel is um, in order, okay, um, Ezekiel, Ezekiel begins with him. He's already in Babylon. Uh, and if we right. refer back to um, in, in the book of Kings and Second Kings, when it starts telling the story of the final days of the kingdom of Judah, there is an initial exile that takes place 11 years before the final destruction of the temple. And Ezekiel is one of those people who is exiled to Babylon at that time. He's sitting in Babylon, and so the beginning of his prophecies, there's still a Jerusalem functioning. There is still a temple functioning, and he is giving his prophecies to the Jews who have already come to Babylon. Um, But beginning already in chapter 24, towards the end of chapter 24, Ezekiel gets word from Jerusalem there is a, a refugee, if you will, 
who comes to Babylon and gives him word that Jerusalem has been destroyed and the temple has been destroyed. And so from that chapter on, we can assume that Ezekiel is giving prophecies, keeping in mind, I mean, this idea of the, this is, don't forget, the first temple. This is the first time that the temple has been destroyed. It's a cataclysmic event. Uh, the fact that the temple is destroyed, the fact that after that, almost all the Jews are exiled to Babylon. Um, and, and so he is prophesying after that event. And so what you have here in these chapters is prophecies that, if you will, kind of are trying to cheer people up. Okay? Yes, it is terrible now, but there will come a time when things will improve. And so I think, first right. of all, you have to see this prophecy in that context. Uh, and secondly, when he, and this is perhaps what's most important about this, he is prophesying to the mountains of Israel. Now, the mountains of Israel go through the middle of the country, and they start in the Galilee, and they go all the way down through the Negev, okay? But a very large part of those mountains of Israel are in Samaria. Now, during Ezekiel's time, Samaria for already 120 years has been destroyed and has not, you know, the original tribes that live there have been gone. They've just been dispersed. These are the people that we often refer to as the Ten Lost Tribes. You know, that already happened more than 100 years earlier. So when he's prophesying to the mountains of Israel and he is, I believe, including all those mountains of Israel, he's also saying something very unique in that I'm not just prophesying to Judah, I'm prophesying to the whole land of Israel, if you will. Right. And so you helped clarify for us there. I sort of let the cat out of the bag a little bit, but the, the person speaking in the passage is God, and God is speaking right. to to the mountains themselves. The mountains right. are essentially the the audience. The land is the is the right. uh uh, audience who's supposed to be hearing God's words. So how do you interpret then this prophetic verse? What's what's the vision here? What is God saying exactly? Okay, so it's a prophecy of restoration and the land itself reflects what has happened to the people. And mm -hmm. and, and if you think if you imagine again, imagine where where Ezekiel is and there's no question he's bringing forth the word of God, but he's in this too. In other words, very often um, the, the prophets themselves bring their own passion, sometimes even their own vocabulary, in, in transmitting the message of God to, to the nation or to whoever he's talking, in this case the mountains. But, but that, the, the context is always very important. And so you're, you're in a situation now where Ezekiel is in Babylon, but he's picturing, he's imagining that the land of Israel is now empty or nearly empty, okay? There's a process of exile. So what does that mean for the land? The land where there were many Jews living is now empty of Jews. And so when he is now prophesying to the mountains of Israel, he is saying, right now, you're in a situation where you are empty. Um, and it refers to the ruined cities being rebuilt, but what that means is that there are ruined cities. So he is looking at a situation where the mountains of Israel is at their worst. Um, and again, some of these mountains have already been in the state of neglect and absence of Jewish cities and Jewish population for more than 100 years. But the rest of it, the part that's Judea, 
is has been like this just for days, weeks, you know, a very short time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but this is the situation. So what he is now saying is that there will be a reversal. Right now, you have ruined cities. Right now, you have no people. Right now, and I love this verse also, when he says it talks about the trees, the branches of the trees, the, the, the trees will like kind of shoot forth their branches and and bear fruit. So again, if you're trying to picture what he's seeing now, he's seeing now tree stumps. He's seeing trees that have been cut down without the branches, no trunks, or maybe a couple branches, you know, stumps of trees. And so he's or or barren trees that have not borne fruit in quite some time. And so he is picturing a complete reversal of that where these trees start to grow again and have beautiful branches and fruit. And with that same idea, the mountains that were empty of people, now the people come back. This, the ruins will be rebuilt and they will again be cities that will be inhabited by the people of Israel. <clears throat> so this is what he's, this is the picture he's painting. And of course mm-hmm. the question is, when will that happen? And, right. You know, as Ezekiel is putting forth this word, God does not reveal to him when it will happen. He just says it will happen. And, but if I look, and, and it's very possible, look, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, who is a contemporary of Ezekiel, okay, Jeremiah prophesies probably around the same time, okay, that it will be 70 years. So, but this is a very different prophecy. Jeremiah prophesies it will be 70 years they'll return to Jerusalem. Here, he's talking about a whole different picture of the mountains of Israel. Now, it's possible that in Ezekiel's mind, he's saying, well, this might be in 70 years. You know, it's very possible that this is what he's thinking. And we don't know how God works, but it's very possible that God put forward the potential that when the second temple period begins, when the Jews return from Babylon, who knows? Maybe there would have been a potential for all of the land to be settled and, and, and uh, you know, Messiah to come and, and it just be, you know, forever eternally wonderful. But we know from history that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So when I look at this prophecy and I compare it to events that we know it from Ezekiel's time to today, I can safely say that the only time in our history, in Jewish history, that this prophecy has been fulfilled is today. Because today, we are, the Jewish people, in fact, residing throughout the mountains of Israel, from the Galilee, down into Samaria, down into Judea, and down into the Negev. And for the first time in centuries, the area is prospering. We have vegetation, we have agriculture, we have trees that are bearing fruit. You know, And I love this verse because even as I drive around my own neighborhood, I just remember when we first came here, um, I don't know, 30-some years ago, you know, the, the I know what it looked like here. There right. was nothing. Boulders, barren hills, no farms, no vegetation, no trees, okay? And today, I drive around my neighborhood, just in my own garden, I have a lemon tree, I have two lemon trees, I have an orange tree, a, a, a clementine tree, two avocado trees, a, a mango tree. I mean, this is... Just in my garden, the trees that are bearing fruit. And as I drive around my, my whole community, I always see this. You see the flowers and you see the trees. 
and you see the homes and you see the gardens and the schools and the shopping centers, today, this prophecy is coming true like never before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is amazing. And uh, we've referenced this, I think, before on previous podcasts, but we sat under those trees laden with fruit yes. when we were there back in March. And uh, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing to see and to look out over the mountains. Now, uh, I'm going to maybe put you on the spot here a little bit, Sandra, but, but this prophecy in particular... Um, I believe that Ezekiel, and I was looking to try and, and find the verse, but I believe Ezekiel references in one of these uh, texts in Ezekiel from, from sort of 34 on, uh, the, the people of Israel coming back from the four corners of the earth. Am I, am I correct about that? Um, let's see, four corners. So you're saying that's in verse 34? No, some somewhere in this section of chapters, I I can't find ah. it at the moment, but um, yeah, yeah, if, wait, I think I'm getting it. Yeah. Uh, and if well, I was, we have this. It says in, in verse nineteen, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. Yes. So and that's, then he's going to he's gathering him from those same places. He says in verse 22, uh, let's see, here we go. In verse 23, I was sanctifying my great man, which has been profaned among the nations. Yeah, 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 here we go, 24. I will take you from among the nations and gather you from all the countries, and I'll bring you back to your land. Yes. Okay. And the, I know there is another another prophecy uh, where God speaks to the people and says he's going to bring them back from the north, the south, the east, the west, the four quarters of the earth. Right. There's a couple of instances right. of those. And so I'm I'm raising that to ask this, that, you know, you, you talk about the, the fact that this prophecy... Um, it really, it really can't just be about returning from exile in Babylon because uh, of what hasn't happened until sort of modern times. You, you know, you, so, so I think that's great clarification. And um, really, this prophecy then began to come to pass probably maybe 100 years or so ago. Is, is that? Right. Yeah. Right, that makes sense with the beginning of the Zionist movement. Yes. It's very interesting. There are a number of places where this kind of promise is made. Um, for example, Deuteronomy 30, I think, is the first place that you'll see God promising to bring the nation, and there it's specified from the four corners of the earth. And um, there's no question that during this time, the return from the exile in Babylon, that prophecy does not is not fulfilled because they were only exiled to Babylon and Persia. Yes. You know, not like what's going on today. Where, where they've come literally from all over the world. I like to say when I'm in Australia, they're even coming from Australia, which is the ends of the earth. You know, <laughs> and I, then I like to ask people in Australia if they feel like they're really at the end of the earth, but they don't. <laughs> from Put it this way, from the perspective of Israel, if we think Israel is the center of the world, then clearly Australia is at the end of the earth. <laughs> Very good. Well, I think that's that's really important what we've just been talking about because I think that this idea that that the the Jewish people scattered literally around the world. I mean, you know, Europe, South America, U.S., Canada, uh, 
parts of, of Asia and India and so on, Ethiopia. Um, this is the, the return, I believe, that Ezekiel was talking about. And, and that's what you're saying as well, that, you know, when, when God speaks to the mountains here, I, I like it. He speaks to the mountains and then he says to the mountains, you know, my people are going to come back. <laughs> kind of like, you need to be ready because this is what's going to happen. And, uh, and he's very clear. Uh, when I was reading, it, it says in verse 12 of chapter 36, I will cause people but then he, he, he pauses and he says, my people to walk upon you and they will possess you and you will be their inheritance and you will never again deprive them of their children. And so I think God is being very specific about this, uh, his chosen people, uh, you know, the children of promise through the line of, of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And um, it's really exciting to talk about these things because, you know, I, I actually, I, I preach on this text uh, about the fact that, that God has a, a real connection to the physical land of Israel. What, what do you feel about that? Does God have a connection to the land of Israel? Why is it so important to him? Oh, I think God has a connection to everything physical. And I think it's important to God because it's important to man. Hmm. Um, and I think that's something that's very important if you understand what the Bible is all about. Um, on the one hand, the Bible is the word of God. But on the other hand, it's the word of God given to human beings. So, and it's very, very physical, the Bible. It, beginning with the stories it tells us to the commandments that it commands us and things that are extremely physical. And mm -hmm. I know there are Eastern religions, for example, that tend to create everything on a spiritual plane and, and, and ignore the physical. And there are traditions within Christianity that have tried to convert the physical into the spiritual. Uh, you know, there are people who talk about the spiritual Jerusalem. Now, there may be a concept of a spiritual Jerusalem, but it does not replace a physical Jerusalem. It's an additional layer on the physical Jerusalem. And, and I think here in, 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 in this prophecy and so many others, where God talks about the land. I mean, if you look in, in um, Deuteronomy, for example, in the, in the covenant in Deuteronomy at the end, 27, 28, the text of the covenant, God is talking about specific commandments that the nation of Israel has to obey and the blessings they will receive if they obey them. And then the curses they will receive if they disobey them. Both the blessings and the curses are extremely rooted in the land. The yes. land will prosper and yield its fruit and its, and its crops to its people. That's a blessing. And the, and the uh, curse, there will be famine. The crops will fail. Um, uh, foreign powers will conquer the land. And ultimately, the nation of Israel will be dispersed from the land. And so you have throughout the Bible this idea that God has given the land of Israel to the nation of Israel. The ideal situation is when the land and the people are together, okay? But if there's a problem, God will separate the, the land from the people, and that is significant. Mm -hmm. And then in order to come back to a wholeness, the nation of Israel has to return to the land. And that is not just some, I don't know, some, uh, you know, example or um, metaphor for the relationship between God uh, and human beings or God and the nation of Israel. It is a physical reality. Right. The spiritual reality is contained within a physical reality and you cannot deny that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like that you make that clarification because it's it's not one or the other. It can be both. You know, there there is a a wonderful right. picture there and metaphor, but but you can't separate it from from the physical reality of the Jewish people in the, in the land of Israel. And uh, it is such a beautiful land. We are getting excited uh, about going back there in just about a month or so. And I love to listen to you talk about where you live. And so. So you've shared a little bit about your neighborhood and about the trees and everything, but but why is it so significant that you are living in Samaria, looking out over those beautiful mountains? And, and how does it make you feel, you know, being a part of this biblical prophecy actually coming to pass? Well, first of all, I'd like to go back to this same Ezekiel 36. Let's look a little bit at, at some of these, uh, you know, let's look at just one verse, uh, for example, verse sure. 10, I will settle a large population on you, the whole house of Israel, the towns shall be resettled and the ruined sites rebuilt. Okay, so how is this prophecy supposed to take place? Can you envision God taking whole cities and just dropping them down from the heavens? Is God going to just kind of beam up, you know, beam these people from, from Tel Aviv to, yeah. to Samaria? No, that's not how it works. That's not ever how it works. God will present a prophecy. But unless that prophecy is completely and totally dependent only on a divine act, like if there's a prophecy, there will be an earthquake, okay? Well, that's purely divine. Now, human beings do not get at all involved in whether or not there's an earthquake. But in this kind of a prophecy, and there are many prophecies like that, there requires a partnership, if you will, between God and human beings. Yeah. And basically, what God does is he opens the doors, or he calls us, or he says, this is the right time. But if we don't walk through those doors and take part and do our part, then prophecy cannot be fulfilled. Mm. It will eventually be fulfilled, but maybe our generation will have missed that opportunity and it will wait for another generation that hears that call. And this is how I view everything that's happened with Israel since the beginning of the Zionist movement, going back in the middle of the 19th century. There was a call. There was a sense that, that played in the hearts of people, of Jews, particularly in Europe, but also in some other places. And they said, God is calling us back. And, and they start moving things along. And of course, once the state of Israel is established, that's like, that's not a silent little call. That is a, that is a scream. You, know? <laughs> you have to be deaf not to realize that God has created the opportunities for us to come back. Right. And Jews start coming back and they're making Aliyah. And, 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 and that's amazing. And then in 1967, with the Six-Day War, this part of the land, the center of the mountains of Israel, if you will, Judea and Samaria, comes into our hands. The whole settlement movement that I am a part of is a recognition that Ezekiel 36 places a responsibility upon us. When that liberation of the land of Judea and Samaria took place in 1967, very soon after, and then for, you know, the years since, this yeah. movement has been pushed along by individuals, by right. people of faith, Jews, who look at these verses and say, we have the responsibility. We can't wait for the government. We can't wait for negotiations, all of that. That's not what we need to be doing. We need to be pushing this along. And I can, with pride today, say that we are um, half a million Jews today living in Judea and Samaria. And this all began because there were a few people who heard this call, read these verses, and said, God is expecting us to act now and go settle the mountains of Israel, rebuild the cities, 
rebuild the ruins and resettle the mountains. And that's what we do. And that's why it's so meaningful for me. Just an ordinary life, living in a house, sending my kids to school, you know, going shopping. It's ordinary life, but it's part of fulfillment of this prophecy. It's beautiful. I uh, like I said, I love your passion, and uh, and just listening to you talk about that and why it's so important. And I think it's important for for others to hear that uh, passion in your voice and and as you share as well, because not everybody you know understands this, and uh, this is a great opportunity for people to understand to know that uh, God has specifically prophesied that this will happen. And that um, you, as a as a group, as a as a movement, are simply partnering with God in uh, in seeing this come to pass. And and we know we know that you know God moves it along, and He does. I like I liked how you put it. You know, God opens the doors, and God sort of places the call. But but we have to follow. And I think that's that's great advice for anybody who's listening today. And uh, you know, maybe you feel like. God's asked you to do something, called you to do something, and you're just waiting for it to happen magically. Um, it's probably not going to happen magically. You need to put in some effort. You need to do your part. And uh, I just think that's that's a great, great perspective. Uh, Sandra, it's just always such a joy to have you on the podcast. We really appreciate uh, you sharing with us today. And I want to make sure that people who are listening uh, know about what it is that you do. So just remind our audience about CFOI and the work, and how can they connect with you? How can we get involved in this fulfillment of, of prophecy? Well, what we do, Christian Friends of Israeli Communities was established in order to enable Christians to connect with the settlement movement, with the Jewish communities uh, in Judea and Samaria, which, as we've seen, are fulfillment of prophecy. So in a way, if you're part of CFYC, you yourself are also taking part in the fulfillment of prophecy. And I want to encourage people to sign up for our newsletter, to take a look at our website at cfoic.com. We also offer uh, Christians the opportunity to, to support some of the work we're doing financially. Um, we are actually physically making a difference in the lives of people here, whether it's providing vital security and emergency equipment or helping people with needs, children with special needs, the elderly, uh, needy families, um, just doing all kinds of things to strengthen the communities and make life in the communities that much easier. Uh, and it's all being done with the financial support of Christians. So if that's something that speaks to your heart, then definitely we welcome you. We want to hear from you. Uh, we also put out a lot of information. So just take a look at our website and, and send me an email. And uh, I'd love to be in touch with you and answer your questions and help you get involved in the fulfillment of prophecy. Well, thank you again, Sandra. Wonderful to have you on the show today. And um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Perhaps we'll see you in Jerusalem in about a month or so. That would be great. Looking forward. Shalom, and thank you for listening to Keeping It Israel. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it and consider supporting us to keep the conversation going. And just so you know, you can watch this podcast on our First Century Foundation's YouTube channel, where you will find all of our Keeping It Israel interviews and much more from First Century Foundations. So don't forget to subscribe. First Century Foundations exists to turn hearts around the world toward the land, people, 
and God of Israel. We support over 70 ministries in Israel who are doing an incredible work on behalf of the Kingdom of God in so many different ways. We also take tours to Israel and we would love to have you join us. Please visit firstcenturyfoundations.com to learn more about the work we do and how you can stay connected. Until next time, from all of us at First Century Foundations, God bless you and God bless Israel. 